Welcome everyone to today's devotion. We're in Hebrews chapter 6, the penultimate chapter of our uh, finishing out the New Testament, uh, a year into COVID, over a year now. Um, and uh, Hebrews 6 is the most controversial chapter in all of Hebrews, and it's not really close. There's not another chapter that is that quite divides uh, theologians as this chapter. And it really comes down to the issue of the security of one's faith. Um, and we see it here in the opening 12 verses of Hebrews. Uh, now, for, for the sake of simplicity and time, uh, I'm not going to be able to go into all of the details and the exegesis that we may otherwise do. If you've been coming to East Frankfurt Baptist Church for Sunday school, um, our Sunday school teacher did an excellent job a few months ago uh, explaining chapter 6. So, um, you know, there's there's those resources, and you can find plenty of other resources elsewhere. And um, I'm sure sometime in the future I'll, I'll return to, to this passage. Um, but I, I do believe this is an example of where if we lay our cards on the table, um, the Bible should inform our theology. At the same time, our theology informs our interpretation of the Bible. Uh, both are true. So I shouldn't have a theological conclusion that I haven't, that, that, that isn't rooted in Scripture. At the same time, what I believe about Scripture um, informs my interpretation of, of that text. Or in this case, what I believe about salvation and, and everything else uh, does help me think about this text. Another way of putting this is we need to allow Scripture to interpret Scripture. And I believe, of course, I'm a Southern Baptist, uh, unashamedly, that salvation is uh, secure in Christ. Those whom God saves, he sanctifies and will one day glorify. Uh, no one can pluck uh, the people of God out of Christ's hand, um, and, um, and that those whom God saves, uh, he will keep. Uh, so, so that is a classic uh, Southern Baptist um, um, position. And I think it's consistent with what we find in Scripture. Uh, and I won't take the time to, to go through all of that. Now, there's plenty of, of uh, uh, Christians who love Jesus, love the Bible, Orthodox, all that sort of stuff, that do disagree with me on this point. Um, but really, I would just say that if, if you can lose your salvation, you will lose your salvation. And there is no hint in Scripture that the believer should ever live as if we lack the assurance of God's love. Um, just as a father and a mother's love is uh, immutable, so too is God the Father's love for his adopted children. With that said, let's look at, uh, start. let's just start down to verse 4. For it is impossible in the case of those who have, been, who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift, have shared in the Holy Spirit, and have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the age to come, and then have fallen away to restore them again to repentance since they are crucifying once again the Son of God to their own harm and holding him up to contempt. Now remember, the, the context of Hebrews is he's presenting Christ as supreme, and yet there is this temptation among his readers to want to abandon the gospel in favor of something that is easier, likely a, a Judaism more akin to, to their childhood faith. Uh, and, and the reason they're wanting to do this is because of hardship and suffering. Well, here we have a passage that sounds like he's saying that when you commit apostasy, when you leave the faith, there is no grace for you. Um, but I would argue, again, just for the sake of simplicity, we can't get into the, all the issues of this text. And it's a very difficult text. Um, words like enlightened, uh, taste, um, 
things like that um, help me think that these are those who have, uh, who, as John would put it, were among us, but uh, were with, were among us, but were not of us. Um, that that sort of language, um, and that that's the way I, I'm taking this. So there is a tasting of uh, the heavenly gift, but not the receiving of the heavenly gift. Um, and and so he, this is a warning here. We also need to see that the writer of Hebrews does an excellent job at allowing the tension between security and warning. Uh, one of the problems with this debate, and I find this a lot in the realm of theology, is, is we want to pound our theological position so hard, we don't allow the tensions that are naturally given to us in the biblical text. And I can give several examples, but, but I won't, because I think this is sufficient. So in Scripture, you, you, it's very clear that the redeemed remain the redeemed. At the same time, Scripture constantly is warning believers um, not to fall away. And we need to allow that tension uh, to be there. Because, remember, far majority of the Bible is written to people who believe the Bible, right? This is written to um, to a church, to, 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 to local believers. It's not written to pagans here. It's written to, to local believers. So it is a real warning to them. And I find it best to, to allow the tension of Scripture to be there and, and to wrestle with it without surrendering the, the, the tension or having to explain it away. If you go down to, to verse 10, For God is not unjust so as to overlook your work and the love that you have shown for his name in serving the saints as you still do. Notice here that, that those whom God saves, he sanctifies. And, and he's saying here, the issue of sanctification is the, the evidence of salvation. Right? You, you don't have sanctification before justification. You, ha you have sanctification after justification. So verse 11, and, and we desire each of you to show the same earnestness to have a full assurance of the hope until the end, so that you may not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promise. What he's saying here is, is yes, there, there is a warning here, but he's also wanting to have an encouragement here. Keep persevering. Keep doing the things of God. Keep following after him, all right? And it's striking that when we come to chapter 6, we only focus on the first eight verses, and we really forget the rest. In fact, notice what he says in this last paragraph, starting in verse 13. Now, I will say verse 20 bleeds into what we see in chapter 7, and we'll see that tomorrow, Lord willing. Um, but verses 13 to the 19 is the assurance of faith. So right where we have the um, what seems like the loss of faith, in the latter half of the chapter is the assurance of faith. Again, let the tension of the Bible to be there. It's there for a reason, given to us by God. So verse 13, for when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater by whom to swear, swear he swore by himself. Now that, that, that's, that's, a, that's an interesting language there, isn't it? Um, if, if we take an oath Right, so if you're a politician, you take an oath, you take it on the Bible, or you know, and you swear by the Constitution, right? We, we, we do this, right? We, we understand here, but who would God swear to, right? Um, and and the writer of Hebrews says as well, there's no one greater. Remember, Christ is supreme. There's no one greater than God Himself. So when He swears, He swears by Himself. 
right? And this is what he, he swears, verse 14, surely I will bless you and multiply you. So God enters into covenant with Abraham. We're, we're in the story of Abraham on Wednesday nights um, at East Frankfurt. Uh, we've paused a little bit to talk about priests, but but we're, we're, we're doing it in the context of the story of, of, of Abraham. And, and so God's promises to him are very clear that he will bless Abraham, and he will be the father of many nations, and he will be given the promised land. And God makes that promise, enters the covenant himself. Chapter 15 makes this very clear. This isn't a conditional covenant. Abraham has to keep his in the bargain. No, because the problem is Abraham always breaks the bargain. So what you see in Genesis is covenant fall, covenant fall. So in Genesis 12, God makes the promise to Abraham. He then goes into Egypt and gives up his wife. Chapter 15, God makes the covenant to Abraham. He immediately goes and sleeps with another, another woman. The covenant is renewed, I think, in chapter 18. He goes out and he does, does with Abimelech what he did in Egypt. And, and Isaac will do the same thing. Jacob will do the same thing. Covenant fall. If, if, if the covenants of the patriarchs were conditional, you do your part, I'll do my part, then, then each covenant would have been broken and God would not have been obligated to fulfill the promises. Remember that salvation isn't, isn't uh, that way, right? It's not a bargain. God will save us if we're good boys and girls. But rather, the covenant given to us in Christ is that we would be saved by faith, right? That's the issue. And so God makes a promise with Abraham, and he will therefore fulfill it. That is the way um, God works. Verse 15, and thus Abraham, having patiently waited, obtained the promise. By the way, let me just add a, a, a footnote there. Notice the connection between faith and patience. Um, they go hand in hand, and we really should see them together. I've spoken on that in another context, so we'll move on. Verse 16, for people swear by something greater than themselves, and all their disputes and oath is final for confirmation. So when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath, so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain. Don't, don't miss what he's saying there. He's saying that God swore by himself and he demonstrated that covenant with Abraham in Genesis 15. You can read it, the severing of the carcass and he walks through it. All that, 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 that very sort of bloody, violent scene that I think a lot of people don't realize is in the Bible. Uh, but I believe that's what the writer of Hebrews is referencing here. He's saying, look, look, there's two unchangeable oaths being signed here that God is making. And he fulfilled it with, with Abraham, with the people of Israel. He says, he has done the same thing in Christ that when Christ says that you will be redeemed by faith, you will be redeemed forever. This isn't a conditional covenant. It's an unconditional covenant signed by God for our benefit. So we live as Abraham did with patience and faith. What does he have there? Um, the hope set before us. He'll use similar language in chapter 12 to describe faith describe a race of the uh, hope that is set before us, right? And so, so, so our hope then is in Christ, an eternal security. At the same time, be warned, don't give up the faith. 
don't surrender to sin, but persevere and trust in the promises of God. It's a tough chapter, but it's a good chapter. Hope to see you guys tomorrow as we finish everything out. Have a good one.